Father, come at this time into your hands. Give the blood of Jesus over each one of us. Father, speak to us. Speak to us, we pray. Father, speak to me first. Speak through me to your children, to your people. We've come to you, O Lord. You and you alone have the words of life. Pray, Father, that you would animate me, O Lord. And you would speak the most appropriate word for this time. Thank you, Father. Pray, Father, for an unction and anointing, or the speaking, or the hearing of this word. That you would cleanse me first and make me an instrument for your people. Forgive me, O Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. Praise you, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, one of the things that this, when we go through this time of, uh, of, of unexpected things that happen, it's not easy to to accept it. No, when people leave us and go home to be with the Lord, the lesson is not for them. You know, because it says in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, it says, it is appointed to man to die once and then is judgment. Okay. There is no incarnation or resuscitation or there's nothing. There's one life and we need to answer to answer God what we have done in this body according to our works and God will judge us. So the the lessons are not for us, are for, for the people who have gone home to be with the Lord. The lessons are for us to learn. And one of the questions that you need to keep asking yourself, Lord, why does this happen? You know, yesterday I was speaking to Pastor James and uh, he was telling me, Vijay, do you, do you see how so many people in the persecuted nations are dying? So many people, we don't even know, they're dying like flies. So many pastors, some of our own pastors yesterday, who've gone home to be with the Lord exactly at the same time. People, and and and, and he was telling me, Vijay, uh, there's a convention apparently in Kerala about uh, every year about the, the there's a Pentecostal uh, convention that happens in every place in Kerala. In 2015, uh, one message that was uh, the central message across all the convention is Jesus is coming, be prepared. Jesus is coming, be prepared. Jesus is coming, be prepared. And when we see that people are taken away from our midst and people who have lived a righteous life, what is the lessons that we need to learn when they have gone, gone, gone home to be with the Lord? That is something which is very, very important for us to consider uh, during this time. Uh, and I believe that God is... Uh, speaking to us uh, uh, in a special way, I, I ho- and I hope I'll, I'll be able to um, trans- transfer the heart of God this morning and try to understand what it is for each one of us. Title this message, This Age, That Age, and it will become clear even as we go ahead. So when we ask this question, why do people, so many righteous people go home to be with the Lord? The answer is found in the answer is found in scripture in Isaiah chapter 57 verses 1 to 5. Consider this carefully. Isaiah chapter 57 verses 1 to 5. And this is what it says. The righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. 
Look at this. A righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away. While no one understands. Look at that. For the righteous man is taken away from the calamity to come. He enters into peace. <laughs> For him there is peace. He's, he's gone home to be with the Lord. To be absent in the body he is to be present with the Lord. He enters into the peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. But you, there's a question to this generation. But you draw near sons of sorcerers. <laughs> Offspring of the adulterer and the loose woman. Whom are you mocking? Against whom do you open your mouth wide and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of transgression? The offspring of deceit? Why? What a question. Why, do, why are the righteous people taken away? The answer from scripture is very, very interesting. He says, the devout men are gone because God is taking them away from the calamity to come. He knows, scripture says, how to protect the righteousness, righteous in the day of wrath. And we have not been appointed for wrath, but unto salvation, is what Second Thessalonians will say. So when devout men and devout women are taken away from our midst, the lesson is not for them, as I said. The lesson is for us. It's for us. Of course, in Psalm 90, uh, this is Moses' famous psalm, Psalm 90, verses 9 to 12, one of my favorite psalms too. Look at what he says, and this is Moses, words of wisdom. 120 year old man, possibly at the end of his life, is possibly writing this. I'm not sure. Look at what he says. He says, for all our days pass away under your wrath, Lord. Bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Hmm. 80 years, that's the maximum. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and will fly away. And we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Look at what he says. So teach me, O Lord, to number my... No, he's not saying, teach me wisdom, Lord. He's not telling that. He's not saying, teach me wisdom. He says, teach me, Lord, to number my days. It's very interesting. No, when man, One man of God said, very. he brought it out, the very simple truth over here. He says, we know the number of days we have spent. We do not know the number of days we have. We don't know. It's not like a bank account that we have and we are ticking off every day. No, 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 no. At least we are, if you have a bank balance, okay. Okay, you have maybe, let's say 10 lakhs in your bank. Okay, when you're spending, you know how much you can, you can keep track on the number of, on the amount of money you have spent. But unfortunately, when it comes to days, you do not know how many days you have. You only know the days that you have spent. And you know what he says? Lord, don't teach me wisdom, Lord. But teach me to number my days, Lord. That I may gain a heart of wisdom. You see? That is, that is something which we need to consider as, 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 as a church. You know, when, when righteous men are taken, the lesson is not for them. The lesson is for us. And God is telling each one of us now. We have only so many days left. We don't know how many days we have. And if you're a young person in the Lord, you'll say, okay, I'm only 20 now. Okay, I've got a lot of time now left. I have to get married. I would have children. And then when I'm 35, 40, then I'll consider whether I have to serve the Lord. Or maybe when I'm retired, no. Uh, the rest of the days I will spend with the Lord. After all, there are so many retired people who, 
you cannot say all these. That's the reason why, you know, what he's, what James says, don't say tomorrow we'll go to this place and do that, we'll do that. No, 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 no. If the Lord wills, every other thing he says is evil. Don't have that kind of an evil heart. Don't know the number of days that we have. That's such a sobering thought, isn't it? When young people are dying of heart attack. Young! Less than 40, less than 25, 20 years. I mean, heart attacks don't have an age these days. And in the days where we can have, we have all the facilities, we have all the gymnasiums, we have all the health clubs, we have all kinds of facilities to give us a longevity of our life. But still, people die. Fear. See? And this morning, you know, if you're young in the Lord, especially if you're below 30, I'm sure many of you are below 30. Are both time hai. You see, I'll tell you something. Even if people in the world have trouble, when the trouble is gone, their minds is back on the career. Trouble is taken away, their minds is no longer on God. As long as there is trouble, oh, God, 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 God. When trouble is gone, finished. Mind is gone. Out of God. And, and, and before he says, teach me to number my days, O oh Lord. I want, and exactly the same principle in the book of Ephesians. You know what Paul says? He says, do not be unwise. Don't be drunken. Walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. And the word time is the word, not chronos, but kairos. Kairos is Divine God-given moments. And you know why he's saying that? Because in 1 John, the Apostle John will say, my little children, this is the last time. When was this the last time? Last hour, 11 p.m., so to speak. How? When was it 11 p.m.? 2,000 years back it was 11 p.m. What is the time now then? <laughs> 11 p.m., 59 minutes. 59 seconds and there is another measure also. You don't know. There's an eminence in the Lord's return. This everything that the Lord has prophesied has come to pass. That's the reason why you know what it says in Matthew chapter 24. When you see the fig leaves coming, remember that not spring is near, summer is near. <laughs> summer is there. It's already harvest time. So lessons, my dear brothers and sisters, this morning is for all of us, including me. It is for all of us that we will become stewards of time because that is one quantity that God has equally distributed to all of us. Everyone has 24 hours. And God is telling us, teach us to number our days through Moses that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That is the ultimate. And therefore, this morning, We'll consider a passage in the book, of, in the in the in the New Covenant, about about the first first uh, epistle that the the Apostle Paul wrote, and of course that is the book of Thessalonians, where you know people are grieving in their own church about loss of their own family members, and this is what he has to say in First Thessalonians chapter four, verse one, verse thirteen onwards. Look, this is what he says, verse thirteen onwards. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning those who have what. Fallen asleep. Very interesting. 
They have not died. <laughs> they have only fallen asleep. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For we, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Isn't it, isn't it interesting? Paul wants to be among the set of people who, believe, who will be alive when the Lord returns. And this is what he says. He says, we who are alive and remaining. See? I mean, in other words, he wants to be a part of the generation <laughs> which will be a part of the generation which will invite the Lord when he is coming. The second, the second coming of the Lord. I mean, I, and, and by the way, that is a constant, what do you call, uh, the desire of every righteous man. You listen to every righteous man who has gone ahead of us, not gone ahead of us, who is still in the ministry, 75, 80 years, you know, 80 years old. You know what they say? I hope I am the part of that generation which will invite Jesus when he's coming back. As long as I am alive in this body, I will have that hope that when Jesus comes, I will be a part of that generation. That's First Thessalonians chapter 4. And then he goes on to say, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of, of, trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Who will, who will rise first? The dead in Christ. Those who have fallen asleep will rise first. And then we, again, Paul is including himself, we who are alive and remain shall ca- be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and be- thus we shall always be with the Lord. This is an, this is the hope. Paul says, and this has become part of scripture. And first Thessalonians, you know, remember a couple of weeks back, Pastor James was preaching on first Thessalonians chapter one. He was talking to this church, which has gone through intense persecution. Okay. And the faith of, of this church is now shed abroad. Everybody knows about the Thessalonica church, the, Thos- the church of Thessalonians. Then everybody knows. And these people now are getting bogged down a little bit because of the persecution that they've gone through. And you know what he says? Don't sorrow. Don't sorrow. And therefore he says, you know what? Verse 18. Comfort the word. Comfort one another with what? These words. Comfort one another with these words. And by the way, the word comfort in the Greek comes with uh, a word called parakleo. Parakleo is essentially, what does it mean? It's rendered in different ways. Two ways it's rendered. It's rendered as comfort. And the other way it's also rendered as exhort. Another way it's rendered as beseech. Exhort one another. Every day. And that's the reason why it says in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 it says, exhort one another. How, how long? When? Daily. Exhort one another daily even as you see the day approaching. You see, this is what, this is what is real, real, real expectancy. You see, you're living in the constant reminder of the fact that the Lord can come anytime. Just want to concentrate on this. Chapter four, uh, chapter four of First Thessalonians. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said there are several brothers: there are Baptist brothers, the Pentecostal brothers, there are Methodist brothers, and there are ignorant brothers in all of them. <laughs> okay, and he says, "Don't be ignorant, brothers." Why? Why? Because there are no commas in the Greek. Okay, they're all same. Don't be ignorant. Need to tackle this. He says, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who do not have. Ah. See? Sorrow is okay. 
And that's the reason why scripture says there are two kinds of sorrow. There is a worldly sorrow and there is a godly sorrow. And he says godly sorrow leads us to repentance, but worldly sorrow only gives us death. There's no hope in worldly sorrow. Have you seen that in when when people uh, Pastor was talking about when he went to the hospital where Pastor Vijay James was uh, admitted, every other bed people are gloomy, no hope. But you know what? Except at Pastor Vijay James's bed, everybody was happy, having a t- gala time. They were joking, they were having fun, they were doing everything. You know why? In spite of all the suffering that he's going through, because everyone he knew that these people have hope. Amazing. That's the that's, that's testimony. I remember, no, when I listened to a lot of doctors, especially cancer, cancer doctors, they say how they got converted. Unbelieving doctors when they got converted. They said, you know what? I used to see all kinds of people coming to the cancer ward, but there was one set of people, the Christian people, whenever they came, they always had hope. And th- th- that that itself was a testimony for them. They didn't have to speak one word. And I remember one doctor, uh, when he was in the cancer ward, a Christian came. She was going to die. And she's not even concerned. She asked the doctor, are you saved doctor? What do you mean? I thought I'm going to save you. No, 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 no. Are you saved doctor? Are you saved? And what do you mean by that? And, the doc- and she said, the whole nine yards of the gospel. And he was stunned. And he said, I came to save this lady. I ended up getting saved by this lady. He said, that is the reason why he says, lest you sorrow as others who do not have hope. But there is sorrow. See, the th- thing is that we all have sorrow, but in that sorrow, there is what? Hope. See, sorrow is God's gift for all of us. Unless you went out that's the that's that's the mechanism which God has given us to vent out. No, when we cry, when we when we grieve, Jesus says, "Come, come, 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 come to me," and just went and like Elijah. No, Lord, it is better for me to die. Okay, okay, went, went, went. Sleep, Elijah. Okay, get up, Elijah. Eat, sleep, Elijah. I understand. Went, went your frustration. No problem. And that is God-given mechanism for all of us. It is a sorrow that is there in each one of us that is God-given. But that sorrow, it's not the worldly sorrow. There is hope in that sorrow. And what is biblical hope? Biblical hope is different. It's like, for example, uh, if I if, if I come and ask uh, uh, Hepsiba, uh, will Pastor Vijay come tomorrow to your to your hostel to do the Bible study? I hope so. When she says, I hope so. She, he may come, he may not come. In our understanding of hope, that is what we understand by hope. He may come, he may not come. But biblical hope is completely different. It is in fact more powerful than faith. What it is, it's hope because of a relationship with a person of Jesus Christ. That is a hope. And can Jesus fail? Never. It's hope that does not disappoint See, because it's a hope that is based upon a truth and that truth is not an idea. The truth is a person, a person who died and who was risen again. You see that? And then he, that's the reason why it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Hope that does not disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. 
heart, poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And who is the, what is the Holy Spirit called? He's called the Paracleto. What does it mean? The Comforter. And when I go away, and you know what, what you know what the, uh, Jesus will say? When I'm going, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You know what the original Hebrew will say? The Greek will say, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. You see? You know what, what does comfort mean? Comfort means nothing. No, it's not like, ayo, papam. Ayo. No, it's not, it's not comfort. You know what comfort means? Coming beside you and fortifying. And say, coming and saying, exhorting and say, come on now. Come on. Don't give up. That is comfort. Coming beside you and fortifying your inner man, the strength inside of inner man saying, you know what? You have a hope. That hope is not based upon your present circumstance. The hope is in a person who has overcome sin and death. That is your hope. And that hope will not disappoint. But how do we get this hope? Romans chapter 5 verse 1 onwards. It says, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into his, into this grace. Okay, that is the reason why we sang this song. Only by grace can we enter. Only by grace can we stand. It's not by our effort. It is but by his blood. It's only by his blood. This grace in which we stand. And rejoice in the hope of glory. The glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in what? Tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Tribulation is essentially a test. And perseverance, character. Character produces what? Hope. There's only one thing that you can control in these three things. Okay? And the, and the hope does, does not disappoint. There's tribulation, there's perseverance, there is character, and there is hope. There's only one thing that you can con- con- control. You know what that is? Perseverance. The rest of the things you can't. Perseverance will either make you to have a good character, and will def- therefore give you hope, or it will break you. That is the reason why it says what you believe is so important. What you believe will determine what you become and what you become, I'm sorry, what you believe will essentially determine your character. Your character will just determine your destiny ultimately. See? But your character is so important and character produces hope. Why? That hope that will never disappoint. And is this a new idea? Or is this something which is already there? It's, it's there and not new for us. And there was one guy who went through intense suffering. Old Testament. Who's that man? Job. Intense. Intense. To a point where now he's scraping the source from his body. And then the wife comes and says, curse God and die. And you know what he, what he says? At that point he says, you are talking like a foolish woman. He doesn't say you are a fool. Only says, you're talking like a foolish woman. Should we only accept good from God and not bad? And in all these things, he maintained his integrity. And you know what? That man, Job, man who's gone through intense suffering, this is what he has to say. Job chapter 19, verse 25 onwards. For I know my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, (laughs) I'm going to die now. That in my flesh I will see God. That means what? I'm going to have a resurrected body. Who's saying this? A man in the Old Testament. Who I shall see for myself. And my eye shall behold and not another. How my heart yearns within me. 
If a man in the old covenant can have this kind of a hope, how much more you and I? Is a question. Again, in Second uh, Samuel chapter twelve, verse twenty-two onwards, this is David who is fasting and praying for his first child, and he said, "You know, the the, the child has died, and now the the, the servants are very scared to." You know, to disclose this to him. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can say, who can say whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall, but he shall not return to me. Wow, not you. And therefore, but I do not want you to be ignorant. We should not sorrow like people who do not have hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Take this to heart. Underline it in your Bibles. God will bring to pass all those who sleep in Jesus. That is your hope. In his chapter on resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is what Paul has to say. Verse 19 onwards. If in this life only we have hope in Jesus, we are of all men more to be most to be pitied. If we have life, hope only in this life, you see that's that's exactly the reason why everything about this life, your best life now, and we have a bestseller. Go to every Christian bookstore, you'll find in. That, that's a bestseller in every Christian store, by the way. Nobody goes to Herbert Lockyer or A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer will be absolutely stacked all the time. Best life now is gone. You see? If in this life only you have hope in Christ, of all the men you should be most pitied. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one of us in his own order, we understood this in some sense in some of the messages that we studied. Christ, the first fruits after those who are in Christ at his coming. Christ, the first fruits afterward, those who are in Christ or Christ at his coming. We need to understand this. We will spend a few minutes of the rest of the message on what it means. What does it mean? To be, what does it mean? How do we, how do we understand this resurrection from the dead? How do we know that we have this hope that we will be risen from the dead once, one day or the other? This is the foundation of our faith, by the way. It's, uh, it's, it's one of the fundamentals of the Christian doctrine, by the way. It's, you'll find it in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the principles of the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, doctrine of baptisms, Laying on of hands. See that? Resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Six. And this we will do if God permits. This is a foundation of our faith. It's a found fundamental principle on which Christianity is built. It's an elementary. It's addition and subtraction, if you will, of Christianity. It's a foundation for our conversion. And therefore it says in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 onwards, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see that? Again, it's a foundation of our faith. It's a foundation of our conversion. See that? Okay. We, we sing that song, right? 
living he loved me, dying he saved me, burying he took my sins far away, rising he justified, freed me forever, one day he's coming back, oh glorious day. See that? Living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he took my sins far away, rising he justified, freed me forever, one day he is coming back, oh glorious day. So therefore that is the foundation of our, of our faith, it's our, of our conversion. If you believe in your mouth the Lord Jesus, and I mean if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the, with the heart one believes unto righteousness and mouth confession is made unto salvation. And therefore, because it is a foundation of our faith, and it is a foundation of our con- con- conversion, it is also the foundation of a lot of contention. Dispute. In Acts chapter 18, and verse 29 onwards, look at what happens. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, this is uh, Paul talking to the uh, to the Greeks, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold, or silver, or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed on a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, that is Jesus himself. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And then what happens? Oh, these are all intelligentsia of those of that age these are all professors from harvard mit and uh, iit and iim or what have you the the intellectuals of that generation the moment you say he's going to be risen from the dead what will happen and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead some mocked you know what are you talking about remember that christmas uh, and during Christmas, the atheists send a bus on the London, streets of London. You know what it says? Happy holidays. It, it may, it's, it's for sure. It may be that God is not, does not exist. So, ha- so have a great time. It may be that God doesn't exist. So have a great time. Resurrection of the dead. Some mocked. Some said, we will hear again of this matter. So Paul departed from them. However, some men joined him and there are only some. Very interesting, no? We will hear you on this matter. When people stopped hearing, Paul stopped preaching. People stop hearing. The man of God is in no way responsible for the people whom they whom will not hear. When people stop hearing, you will hear the voice of God no more. It's up to, you, up, to, it's up to us. It's a choice. And they also call him mad, for, by the way. This is Paul, he was giving his testimony to King Agrippa and Felix. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses have said. That Christ would suffer, he would be first to rise from the dead, you see that? And would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And now as he thus made this defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, much learning has made you mad. You have become a madman. What? What do you mean? We'll be resurrected from the dead. <laughs> King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. I know you follow. You have a, somewhere in your heart, your conscience is pricking. You know what he says? King Agrippa said to Paul, you almost, per, almost persuade me to be a, become a Christian. Almost. 
So, this is a foundation of contention, resurrection from the dead. So we need to understand what it, what does it mean? What does it mean to us? And how do we appropriate this lesson into our lives? If God is one day going to raise from the dead, raise us from the dead, so what are the implications to each one of us? And how do we know that we believe that he's going to be risen from the dead? How do we know that we believe that? I want to just look at one passage in the three synoptic gospels. That will be the rest of the message. Three synoptic gospels, we know it's in, it's found in Mark's, Mark's gospel chapter 12, Matthew chapter 22, and Luke 20. This is the story of the Sadducees. The Sadducees have come to Jesus and they said, one woman, seven husbands. All died, she died. In the resurrection, whose wife is she? Got it? One woman, seven husbands, all died, she died without child. In the resurrection, whose husband? Who's her husband or whose wife she is? And this particular Passage is mentioned in three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. And Matthew and Mark almost the same, but in Luke, which we'll consider today, there's a slight variation. When people come and ask Jesus, and who are these Sadducees? They are, they are, those are the naturalists of that day. They believe in no resurrection. We will die. We will cease to exist. No more resurrection. Okay. They are the naturalists, atheists par excellence. <laughs> Okay, they're, they they know it all. There's nothing going to happen. Nothing happens. You see, if there's, even if you show, they will not believe. See? I, I find it very interesting though, no? Abraham's bosom, this rich man is there. Lazarus is there in, sorry, uh, rich, uh, rich man is in, is in hell, in, is in Hades, in Sheol, and Lazarus is in uh, Abraham's bosom, and they are having a conversation. I don't know how that is possible, but it is possible. It's there. Jesus is showing us a glimpse of hell. And, and he says, you'll see that there is no repentance in hell, by the way. You still have this show of bossy attitude even in hell. Father Abraham, can you send Lazarus? Hey, that is a bossy attitude. People with a bossy attitude even in hell. That's, that, you know, you don't cease to exist. That's the point. When you are in eternity with God, you you understand them more and more and more. A different level, level of revelation keeps on happening into your life. But when you go into hell, the other things keep on getting magnified. They'll be weeping, it says, and gnashing of teeth. You're an angry man. You'll gnash your teeth all the way to eternity. Oh, bitter, angry. Rage. You see? Is it worth it? <laughs> That's what happens. Then, and then he says, uh, if, if, can you please send uh, Lazarus? You know what the, what Abraham says? They have the law and the prophets. Oh, no, no, no. If you send somebody from the dead, they will believe. You know what? Jesus makes a powerful statement. If they don't believe the law and the prophets, even if somebody goes from the dead, they will not believe. And the irony of it all is that there is one Lazarus who was dead for four days and he's risen from the dead and they want to kill him and they also want to kill Lazarus because they become bad publicity now. To their doctrine, they become bad publicity because the Sadducees said there is no resurrection from the dead. Now Lazarus is alive. <laughs> How is he going? We have to kill him now. Kill Jesus and kill him. You see, that's the hardness. There's no repentance, saints. And now Jesus is talking to these people and he, and he makes a very powerful statement. He says, you err. 
because you do not know the scriptures, nor the power of God. That's a consistent throughout the thesis of the Gospels. And he goes on to say, this is, uh, track with me now, the story in Luke's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 34 onwards. Track with me. This is the center of the message. If we grasp this, we have grasped, at least to some degree, what God has to speak to us today. Luke's Gospel, chapter 20. <clears throat> Jesus answered and said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. This age, that age. That's the title of the message, okay? You see that? Sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. Oh, well, is it wrong to marry? And then he contrasts, he says, but those who are counted worthy of that age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Or if you come to Grace Tabernacle, they will ask us not to get married. Is is that what he's talking about? No, of course, if that is the case, then I'm already disqualified because I'm married. And several of us. He's not talking about that. We'll understand what it means. And then, he goes on to say, he says, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age, that age, the, the, it's, it's translated in different ways in your, in your Bibles. It's called this world, that world. Okay. NKJV translates it as this age, that age. The word is aeon in Greek. Okay. Verse 36. He says, nor can they die anymore. For they are equal to the angels and are the sons of God and the sons of, ah, oh, they are not the sons of this age, but they're sons of God and the sons of resurrection. Oh, so what is he trying to say? What do you mean by being a son of this age and son of that age? We'll try to understand this. What is this marrying and not marrying business? Now, Jesus in Gospel according to Matthew chapter 24 makes this very powerful statement. He says, Matthew chapter 24 verse 37, But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. In other words, exactly on that day was Noah was entering the ark, he got a marriage invitation also. Okay. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also it will be during the son of com- coming of the son of man. Now, what does it mean? Let's, let's see another, another scripture. Luke's gospel chapter 17, verse 26 onwards. As it is in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. Oh, they had several marriages, okay. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed all of them. Okay. Then goes on to say, likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they, ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, I mean, you, you have BSC, NSC, SNP, New York Stock Exchange, Bombay Stock Exchange, National Stock Exchange, Standards and Poor, already there, okay? I don't know why they call it Standards and Poor. In other words, you get into the stock market, you'll become poor. I don't know. <laughs> standards and Poor, everything is there. They bought, this is, we'll, we'll see the principle, it's not people who... Who buy or sell stocks. That's not talking, that's not what talking about. I mean, just let's see the principle behind this. They planted, they built. They are 
get busy. Okay. But on the day that Lot went out, it rained fire and brimstone. And they were all destroyed. Even so, it will be in the day of the Son of Man. What does this mean therefore? What it means to be a sort of people who are marrying and are given in marriage. That is the characteristics of the sons of this age. What does it mean? You know what it means? A preoccupation with the world. You see, yesterday I was talking to Pastor James. He was saying, you know, there are two kinds of people in this in the church these days. There are a set of people who are getting persecuted. Okay? Even in that persecuted church, not everybody has a hope. They're just giving up. There's a persecuted madness. There's a persecution madness. There is also on the other side, a pleasure madness. There's a baptism of persecution on one side of the earth. There's a baptism of pleasure on the other side of the earth. And both to take our minds off God. If he can't threaten us, he will seduce us. That is Jesus. That is Satan. And which is more dangerous? Think about it. Which is more dangerous? You know what? Uh, A.W. Tozer says, this is, he makes a powerful statement. He says, there is an irony in entertainment. You know, the irony of entertainment. What is the irony of entertainment? Think about this man who is going to hell. He's on the highway to hell. On the way, he sees a movie theater. Brahmanandam movie theater. And he goes into the movie theater and he has a hearty laugh. Hare Brahmanandam, kya jokes hai? And he laughs and he laughs and he laughs and he laughs and he laughs. He has a gala time. He has popcorn. He has Pepsi and he has got, he goes to Ori's and finishes off his money. And then he comes out. Back on the highway to hell. What has entertainment done to you? It has deadened your quickness. The madness, the irony of entertainment. The irony of sport. The irony of sport. Who's going to win the Olympics? Who's going to get the maximum? Who's going to win the test match? Sports, sports, sex, pleasure, sports. Everywhere. The irony of entertainment. Do you see it? That you are going absolutely towards hell and you are getting entertained on the way. That is a preoccupation. A preoccupation with the things of this world. Amazing, no? Amazing. No, you don't have to be a smoker or a drinker or <laughs> any such thing. You don't know a lot and you are also getting entertained. And, and what has happened in the churches? They bring people because these people are used to entertainment. In order for them to be in the church, they have to entertain them as well. And therefore you have light, smoke, dance, everything in the church to keep the people. And without telling them the truth, that if they don't reconcile themselves with the Lord, they are back on the highway to hell. The irony of entertainment. And therefore Paul says, a preoccupation. And he shows out a very interesting principle. He says, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 29, he says, the the important thing to remember, this is the the living Bible translation, okay? This is for us to easily understand. The important thing to remember is that our remaining time is very short. Okay? Remaining time, as I said, we only know how much time we have spent. We do not know how much time we have. And he says, so are opportunities, so are our opportunities to do the Lord's work. 
What is that? Our time is short and so are the opportunities to do the Lord's work. Lord's work. Don't ever think that time is your friend. Are next year, next year, next year, next year, next year will come and you will never make a commitment to the Lord. And your heart is getting harder and harder and harder and you're thinking that time is your friend but time is your enemy. You see? Time is very short and so are our opportunities to give. That is the reason why it's called Kairos moment. Blessed is a man who reads, hears and does the words of his prophecy because the time is at hand. You know the word the time again translated as Kairos. Time is at hand. Very, very few opportunities left. In other words, today if you have lost your opportunity to serve the Lord, you do not have more opportunities left, you have less opportunities left to serve the Lord. That's what he's saying. So, the time is very short, so are our opportunities to serve the Lord. For that reason, those who have wives should stay as free, as free as possible for the Lord. So in other words, when you are getting married, be absolutely sure that the person who is getting married to you or you are getting married to is having that same passion and the same fire for the Lord. Otherwise, she will pull you down like Lot's wife. Be sure. See, when we say unequally yoked, it is not just among believer and unbeliever. No, no, no. Even believers can be unequally yoked. There is one, for, one person who is on fire for the Lord and one person who is okay, who wants to go to heaven, but who also wants to have a good time. And this fellow wants to go to church and she was pulling. There's a tug of war in the home all the time. How do I spend my time? How do I give, should I give this money to the, to the, to the, to the, in the offering box for this, for this purpose? No, 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 no. We have this, we have to give this, we have to give this. Already there is a conflict of interest at home. Because both of them are not equally yoked. You see? And therefore he says, the time is short and the opportunities to do God's work is also short. See? Happiness or sadness or wealth should not keep anybody from doing God's work. <laughs> you see how beautiful it is? Happiness or sadness and he's clubbing happiness, sadness to wealth. You see? Wealth should not keep anybody from doing God's work. Those infrequent contact with exciting things the world offers. Oh, you are in frequent contact. That means you have been in church, but you are also browsing and fooling around with the world. Whatever that may be. Frequent contact. Just a friend. Just a friend. That's the accent that we have. Just a friend. Those in frequent contact with the exciting things the world offers should make good use of their opportunities without stopping to enjoy them. For the world in its present form will soon be gone. It's been gone. The world and its passions are passing away, fading away. It's just getting... And what he's going to do? He is going to fold up the heavens. What is he going to do? Fold up. Take the heavens, fabric of spread and slab, Martha Petty, Pade. He's going to fold it up. Fold up the heavens. That is the reason why it says in Psalm 119, the entrance of your word gives what? Light. You know, the actual the English standard version is very interesting. It says, the unfolding of your word brings light. 
What is unfolding mean? You know, if you go to Chandana Brothers and you want to buy saris, you just can't go and pick. He will give you chai first. Okay? First chai, and then or maybe cool drink, and then make you sit, sit, he'll make you sit there. And then he'll unfold sari after sari like this. And then hurry. <laughs> I want to buy one. By the end of the shopping, it's five. The unfolding of the sari has brought poverty. And Jesus says, the unfolding of my word will be light. That's exactly the reason why we need to come to church as often as we can so we understand the unfolding of God's scripture and the unfolding of the eternal purposes of God in, in the fabric of space and time. Because the world and its passions are going away. It's fading away. So, the question for all of us. How can I evaluate if I belong to this age or that age? Okay? Read that All of us will read that together. Okay? How can I evaluate if I belong to this age or that age? Everybody ask the question. Read that again. Or that age. Okay. Let us try to understand. How do I know that I am this age or that age? You know, we, know, we need to be a part of those people who are coming to the second generation. Second res- I mean, the resurrection from the dead. How do I know whether I will be resurrected? See, the point is, we will all be resurrected. Books will be opened. Jesus says that. The final day, my angels will come. He will separate the sheep and the goats. Okay? Sheep are found in the church. Goats are also found in the church. And sheep and goats will be separated. Who are the sheep and goats? You know. Okay, you go and, go and read Matthew chapter 24. And then they will all be analyzed. And Jesus, Paul himself says, in 2 Corinthians, if I'm right, he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Think about that fellow, no? The high priest asks this question, are you the son of God? Yes, as you said. And one fellow comes in, slaps him. Do you speak to the high priest like that? I do not want to be that fellow during the day of judgment. Think about a guy who slapped God himself. What is position going to be? That's why Judas understood that. Now he said, I betrayed innocent blood. I betrayed. And Jesus said, it was supposed to be like this, but woe to him, through whom this has to happen. It is better for that fellow to be have born, not to have born. And then he says in Revelation, books will be opened. And those whose name is not in the book of life, <laughs> everlasting darkness. They will not cease to exist. No, no, no. They will not be annihilated. No. They will continue to exist throughout all eternity. You asked for me, right? You don't want my presence, right? You don't want my presence? Please don't have my presence. Please go. go. So how do I know? That I am preparing for this age or for that age. So, first, very simple. Matthew chapter 13 verse 22. How do I know? Now, he who receives the seed among the thorns, this is the word of God, is he who hears the word and the case of this age, deceitfulness of riches, 
choke the word. And he becomes unfruitful. In other words, he attends a fired up seminar on the last days. Okay, he says, I make a commitment, Lord, from next week onwards, church, regular Lord. Finished. And the boss will say, by the weekend, you have a deadline. And if you don't finish this off campus, on set, don't think anything. You put on Monday morning deadline. Finished. Gone. Church gone. All fire gone. No on site. Not found in sight. Off site. <laughs> don't, don't misunderstand me, okay? If people are going on site, please don't misunderstand. I'm just saying the preoccupation. Priority. If you have God supposed to be supposed to have sent you off on site, you should be on site. Otherwise, you're not there in the place where God intends you to be. But what has what has happened? The cares of this age gone. I'm telling you, saints, you will say, Vijay, it's so easy for you. You are you are a clergy now. <laughs> what what is what is there for you? You have to come and preach Sunday after Sunday. That's your that's your job. I'll tell you something. Before I became a clergy, I was a layman, like you. I was a PhD student, I was a lecturer, I was a husband, and I was a father. And I was also having preaching ministry in the church. I'll tell you, I can count on the palms of my right hand the number of times I've missed church. And you know the fact of the matter is, the maximum it is said about the Bible is about lay people. Was David clergy? No. He was king. And he wrote the maximum number of Psalms. Was David, was Daniel clergy? No, he was a layman. And he wrote the book of Daniel. And he said, Lord, show me more, Lord, show me more, Lord, show me more, Lord, show me. Shut up, Daniel, go home. Joseph, was he clergy or was he a layman? (laughs) That is the reason why, you know what Paul says, Boy, you guys don't understand. You're all royal priesthood. Holy nation. Set your priorities right. Where are your priorities? Where do you stand? I'm telling you something, saints. On that day, you will have no excuse. Hmm. Because God sent you to Grace Tabernacle. <laughs> Just kidding. Sent you. And you find live examples of people who have stood there in spite of all the labor that they have to do and they actually work as clergy. See that? This world, the cares of this age. Marks for, 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 same thing. Deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. Oh, there are other things. The desire for other things. 419, Mark's Gospel 419. Therefore, Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Why does this happen? Why does this word get choked so easily? Why? Why does it happen? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Therefore, since we have a ministry, we have not lost, lost our heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of the Lord. Verse 3 onwards. But even if our gospel is veiled, 
when did you hear the gospel? Everybody will say, on that day when somebody came and gave me a tract or shared the gospel. That is not the time. That is the first time you heard the gospel and every time you are coming to church, you will continue to hear the gospel. What do you think you are hearing now? A message? No, 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 no. You are hearing good news. That is what, that is what gospel means. Why? Why are you able to not understand? Because whose minds the God of this age has blinded? You see? You are all blinded. We are all blinded. See, it is so easy for us to get blinded, no? So easy. How insensitive we become. Repeated occurrence of a particular thing. Right? Repeated murder, repeated anger, repeated strife. Everywhere in the world now we are so insensitive to whatever has happened. We can continue to watch our soap opera. I'll tell you something, no? I'll tell you how gradually this has happened. How gradually, how blindness has happened gradually, I'll tell you. When we were growing up, there was a uh, serial in Doordarshan. It's called Sriman Srimadif. I don't know if you know it, heard it. Okay? For the younger generation, don't go to YouTube. What do they do in Sriman Srimati? They laugh at adultery. They make fun of it. And they make it so, so subtly palpable and everybody is laughing. You know why everybody is laughing? Because they have false laughter. In every comedy show there is false laughter. You know that, right? <laughs> and so we are all programmed to laugh. I know you should laugh. Prompt, laugh please. <laughs> and we all laugh. And what has happened? They mocked and mocked and mocked at adultery. And the moment Star TV came, people are all slowly used to all kinds of adulterous stuff on the internet and on the television. No more sensitivity. You know how it started? I used to wonder how come we still watch some absolutely amorous stuff on the television. We are not cringing, cringing in our spirits. Why? You know why? Gradually programming has taken place to blind us. You know, programming is only not for those fellows from the Illuminati. There's also there subtle levels of programming suggesting that it is okay and you can laugh at adultery without paying for it. The consequences. And you have a little child who licks at their mother's and father's amorous conquest, so to speak, and he laughs at them. What happens to that fellow when he grows up? Pastor James gives us, you know, the kettle, the frog in a kettle. Remember the the frog in a kettle? You take boiling hot water and you put a frog and it will jump out immediately. Okay, but you take a pot of cold water, put it under a sim, and then put the frog. Slowly the heat will increase. And that fellow doesn't even realize he's dying. He's gone. He's dead. He doesn't even jump. You know why? Sensitivity is gone. You don't cringe anymore. There's no tension in your heart anymore. There's no tension. The God of this age has blinded our eyes. And therefore the choke, the world gets so easily choked. And we say, it's okay. This is not that bad. Have you seen worse? That's the that's answer, no? That's the reason why Romans, he says, be innocent of evil. 
be excellent at what is good. Now tell me saints, we have in our generation young children who have lost their innocence. Who have lost their innocence. See that? The God of this age has blinded. And then, also how do we get out of this? How do we get out of this? Therefore, you know, Paul says, beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer and or present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this age. Conformation, don't conform. C-O-N-F-O-R-M, meaning don't accept things the way they are. Don't accept it. These are the way that things will be. And we will have to continue. No, set up a standard that you will be contrary to the culture of this age. But be transformed in the renewing of your mind. That is the reason why more number of opportunities you have to present yourself so that you can hear the word of God and be cleansed in your mind. Cleansed in your mind. Because it says in Ephesians chapter 4, be cleansed in the spirits of your mind. Be cleansed in the spirits of your mind. Cleansing continuously, constantly, that has to happen. By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that which is good, acceptable, and the, you know, and the perfect will of God. I'll tell you something. There are two incredible mysteries in every believer's life. The mystery of your salvation. The day you got converted. <laughs> Amazing, no? How you all got converted? Think about it. Just spend two seconds. I remember that brother who came to me and gave me the gospel. Or that sister who came. How I went to this youth camp and this sister whom I never knew, she told me everything that I was going in my heart and I got saved. Everybody has an incredible salvation story. Therefore, you don't need any miracles in your life. Your salvation story is a miracle. How you came to this church is a miracle. How I came to this church is a miracle. 6,000 miles away. We finished 75,000 kilometers in my car. I told my wife, seven times I went and went back to Canada and came back. You see? Seven, six thousand miles away. God has, God brought me to this church and the person who brought me to this church is not there anymore. It's gone. Brilliant. Incredible story. There are two mysteries. The mystery of your salvation and the mystery of your perfect will that God has for, planned for every one of you. Two great discoveries you have to do. One is discover how you got saved and discover what God intends for you to do in this time. You know why? Because you've been foreordained by God to do the good works that he has planned for you even before the foundations of the world were laid. And how do you get it? Unless you transform your mind. Transform your mind. Do you know? And if devil can't keep you from getting saved, you know what it'll do? It'll keep you from finding God's perfect will for your life. See? That's a history that you need to discover. Uh, a mystery that you need to discover for yourself. What is your purpose? And when you find that, you know what? Every other question in your mind will be addressed. I know what I need to do. All distractions, they may come, they may go, but I know exactly where I'm going. I want to finish that. Therefore, if you think that you are really intelligent, you have to you have to become a fool. Very intelligent people, a lot of intelligent people have a lot of problem. Okay, 
is the intelligent people have problem. And that is the reason why Apostle Paul had to be made blind. Very intelligent fellow. Lots of logic. If you to understand the mind of Apostle Paul, read the book of Romans. And even till now, I, there some things are so incredibly mysterious, I don't understand what he's trying to say here. Incredible mysteries and how well he has articulated in Greek. But that which I struggle to understand in my mother tongue, that is English. Sorry. Uh, I, 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 is he just beautifully wrote it in Greek? You see? Why? Why? You know why? This man had to become blind first. He had to be made a fool. A fool first. And every time you make a choice for this world, you will be made a fool. You see? I told you, right? The last Wednesday I was saying, in the church, in the world there are only two kinds of people. You know what two kinds of people are? The good, stupid people and the intelligent, wicked people. The good, stupid fellows and the intelligent, wicked fellows. That's exactly what happened, no? To Abraham. Abraham and Lot were having a strife. Strong, I mean, battle. And then Abraham says, Baba, we are brothers, no? You make first choice. And this fellow has a twinkle in his eye. Are you fool, Abraham? And then he looks at all the green pastures and then he chooses them. Remember? And you know, Abraham doesn't even look. He looks down. He doesn't even look. Through the entire thing, he doesn't even look. He looks down. And then when Lot takes his pick and he goes, you know what God says? Look up, Abraham. You think that fellow is very intelligent, right? But I'll tell you who's smart. You left everything for me. You know what he does? Look, look here, look there, look there, and look there. Every place you look, I'm going to give it to you. But Abraham was even more smart. He said, Lord, I don't want all this. I'm looking for that, that heavenly Jerusalem. Whose builder and maker is Lord. So I will traverse all this land only as a sojourner. I'm never going to have any land here. See? Very smart. And you, and when you, when you look at Abraham, you say, what a fool, no? What a fool! That is the reason why Paul, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 18, let no one deceive himself. Chapter 3, verse 18 of 1 Corinthians, if anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool first, so that he will be made wise. And every choice that you make, contrary to the world and pro the word of God, you will have to pay a price. You will have to pay a price. You will lose in this world. See? Otherwise, you know, a lot of people have cut corners, no? They have cut corners. They have compromised. And I'm not talking about cutting corners like, you know, doing all kinds of ostensibly wicked things. No. They are like a righteous lot. But in Sodom. Righteous, but in Sodom. How did you reach there? Because you have cut corners. Compromise, 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 compromise. Chalega, 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 chalega. Chalega here, chalega there, chalega here, chalega there. And you know where exactly every decision is tested, it is tested at marriage. How do I know that I belong to the world and I don't belong to the belong to to the to God? Is when the marriage proposal comes, then everything, all questions, cast and did. Think about it, no? White, Chaudhary Christian, looking a fair, born again Pentecostal Chaudhary Christian. 
Brahmins looking for Brahmin converts. At marriage, everything, everything comes. What is the educational background? Cultural background? Finally, is she in the Lord? Everything gets tested there. Marriage proposal is not going to be done. Will you give dowry? Uh, no, no, no. That is just a gift. Wise in the age. We make a fool of ourselves, right? I'll tell you how it even gets tested in my own life. I'll tell you, I'm being honest, no? It's there in my own heart. I'm not speaking something which is not there in my own heart. One day when my boss called me to my office, he said, Vijay, you're a Christian, right? Converted Christian. That means some certificate is there. My blood started boiling. I didn't know my father's caste, but I know my mother's caste. I said, my mother is Naidu. No, it's there subtly. In each one of our hearts. In other words, I never used any, edu- any what is that, uh, uh, a certificate or a reservation. Hard work. It's there. It's there subtly in your heart. We get tested there. And my blood started boiling and I came to pastor and I said, this is what I said, pastor. Pastor said, you fool in euphemisms. Okay. You see? It's there. In each one of our hearts, it's subtly lurking behind. Why? Because we are people of this age. And exactly at marriage, we want all the characteristics coming out. Last thing we want to ask is why if that lady or that brother is born again, filled with the Holy Spirit on fire for God, that is the last thing but all. First thing. What is his position, her position in society? And we know. That is the reason why the people of this age marry and give in marriage. And people of that age, they don't even ask whether you love the Lord or not. Are you with me when I'm serving the Lord or not? That is the only thing which is important for him. I'm used to a hard, tough life. Will you, so will you stand with me? Or will you succumb? And she will say, yes, I'll stand with you. Let's move on. Adoni Ram Jatson. You need to hear the testimony of the wife of Adoni Ram Jatson. How that lady from a palatial place, she was literally the cat's whiskers in a home. Born in prosperity, brought up in prosperity and in royalty, and arist- not in royalty, in aristocracy for sure. And then one day this man comes and he says, you know what? The Lord says I should marry you, but I am supposed to go to this land as a, as a missionary. Will you come by me? And you stand by me. And she said, yes. And she went with him to all the places in Burma. And this man was persecuted. He was arrested and she ran after him and saved his life several times and he died. And she died in the process. These are the people who have gone ahead of us. Who have given up everything for that age. Not this age. And therefore he says, you need to become a fool first. So that you'll be made wise. Why? You know what? Even people who are in ministry, 
people who are in ministry. That is the reason why Jesus says, even if it is possible, even the elect on that day can be deceived. On on that day they will be deceived. You know why? We have to constantly guard our hearts against this. Why? Because we scripture has examples of people who were with Apostle Paul. Think about it now. You are sharing a room with Apostle Paul. What will happen to you? By the end of it, either you are converted or gone to hell. Simple. You have decided. Your destiny is decided after one encounter with him. And there is this guy who just not had encounters with him who served alongside him. And you know what happens about this man? Demas loved this present age and forsaken me. This present age and has forsaken me. So how do I counter the spirit? How do I counter the spirit which is there in inside of each one of our hearts? The principle, okay? Principle. This is the principle. So, if you have money, it's not, I'm not target, targeting you. It's just a principle. Because we are rich in several ways. Richness doesn't necessarily mean only wealth. Look at what it says in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age. That richness could be anything. Intellectually rich. Lot of energies you have. Lot of talents you have. All those things which you want to use for this world. Not to be haughty. Now, don't be proud. Have you ever seen the most accomplished of athletes proud or humble? The sport needs me. And that is the reason why we call him insane bold. That's a statement. The sport needs me. Have you seen? He will always come and do. People will go, ah, they all want to become insane. You see? All insane. They are extremely rich in the present. Don't become haughty, he says. Because all the intelligence that you have is enough to make you kumbulu. You see? You'll come like that. Enough. One gift you have, that's enough. And we are all the generation, right? Even in our own culture, we put, push our children like that. Come on, Abigail. Psalm 23, Abu. And uh, all, the, uh, all the relatives come. My daughter, my daughter. Intelligent. And that fellow, she will be struggling now. The rest of the life, she thinks she is the most intelligent. Uncertain. You see that? That's uncertain. All your talents, all your giftings, they are actually uncertain because one day God can make you insane. You can go mad. People have gone mad. One day. You can either become mad with prosperity or mad with all the talent that you have. It will go into your head so much that you will not be able to see the other person. Don't trust that, but trust in the living God. Not in a dead God, in a living God who has risen from the dead. How did he rise from the dead? He said, no, 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 no to this present age. Ultimately, the question was, 
Will you accept all the kingdoms of this age? <laughs> no. No. I'm going to go the other route by saying no to this age. You know what happened? He was the first to be resurrected from the dead. He says, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy, let them do good that they be rich in good works. If you have the best of talents, don't say, oh, my talents are being used. There are so many opportunities in our church for your talents to be used. If you're good in mathematics or you're good in science or you're good in something, you always have opportunities to serve. Serve willingly. Let them do good. Let them be rich in good works. Ready to give. Willing to share. Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come. See? Time to come. That they may lay hold on to eternal life. That's something which you have to hold on to all the days of your life. You have to grasp it, embrace it and never give up upon it. See, that's what it means. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. If then you were raised with Jesus from the dead, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Therefore today evening, Today morning rather. Where are we? People of this age? Or people of that age? Be examined. Be examined. And therefore he says, but even Moses showed in the burning post passage that a dead raised, that a dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. For all live to him, if you live for God, you will be resurrected in that age. If you do not live for yourself, if you live for him, you will be resurrected from that age. What is there inside of each one of you? God is saying, what is there inside of you? Someone will say, you know what, Vijay, you're talking about richness, right? I'm absolutely neither rich in money nor in talent. You know what God will say? Show me what you have. One stick. What is that stick? Maybe I can paint. Maybe you can sing. Maybe you can pray. Maybe you can walk. Maybe you can jog. What do you, there's one thing for sure in each one of you. Don't hide. One. One stick is there. That is enough to bring deliverance to many people. And to become rich in that age. That is the reason why it says in the book of Timothy, sorry, Daniel, those who knew their God did Mighty exploits and they shone like the stars in the sky. Forever. So which age do we belong to, my dear brothers and sisters? And after this, then some of the scribes said, <laughs> teacher, fantastic, well spoken. After that, no more questions. That's what it says. No more questions. And this morning, even as we are here in the house of the Lord, your mind, God is saying, these are all, you know, incidences that happen in our life to shake us, no? To shake us. Where are our priorities lying? Simple. Question is there. Where are our priorities lying? It gets tested in the way that you spend your time, in the way you spend your money, and in the way you spend your talents, in the way you spend whatever God has given you. For the kingdom, he is not the God of the dead, 
but all those who live to him. He's a God of that. The God of all those who live to him. So even as we come to the end of this Christmas message, if we have the worship team, can you come over please? We'll sing. Remind ourselves that this is not the age that we belong to. This age with all its passions are just passing away, but he who does the will of God. And there is a specific will for each one of us. How do you Clasp it, get it, it's in your hands. God says only two things. Offer your bodies, transform your mind. Offer your bodies, transform your mind. Offer your bodies by coming to, coming to church on time. Transform your minds by listening to the word and not falling asleep. Offer your bodies by coming to church on time. Transform your mind by not falling asleep. Simple. As long as you keep on doing this, one day you will hear the voice of God saying, this is my purpose in your life. And after that, no turning back. No turning back. Shall we worship this morning? Shall we all stand even as worshiping leads us? Only by grace can we enter only by grace can we stand. It's not by a human endeavor, but by the blood of a lamb. Into your presence. Into your presence you draw. By your grace we come. And now by your grace we come, we come. Now by your grace we come. This morning, it says in the book of Ephesians that God saved us from this present evil world. And the cry of from the very first gospel message which went out from the, in the, from the day of that John the Baptist started preaching about the kingdom of God. He said, save yourselves from this perverse generation. Brothers and sisters, we live in a polluted environment. We should be conscious like that fish. When the environment changes, they become sensitive. 
but not numb. And there's so many choices that we have made over the years. Which proved us, proved to us, even in our own lives, that we were not serious about that age, but we were people of this age. God is telling each one of us this morning in a very simple way. No complications. Either you are for me or you are against me. Either you belong to the children of this age or children of the kingdom. But it says in the book of Luke, but the children of this age are wiser than the generation and the children of the kingdom. How can it be that we, when we see the signs of the times, don't apply our heart to wisdom? It is because we do not number our days. And this morning, God is telling each one of us, Maria son, Maria daughter, Ask God for grace to number your days so that you may gain a heart of wisdom. That you will be wise as serpents in this age and harmless as doves. The grace of God which is which is which brings salvation to all mankind has appeared, it says in the book of Titus, teaching us to say no to ungodliness and worldly lusts of this present age. That grace is so freely given to us so that we can overcome. Overcome. And be sure that God understands every struggle that you go through. He knows the shortcomings that you have in your heart. He is not demanding something from you that which He cannot give power to overcome. He says, come my child, come to me. Come to me all that you labor this morning. And are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon yourselves and learn of me. I'm meek and lowly in heart. My burden is light and my yoke is easy. This morning, lay all your fears at Jesus this morning. I don't know, just lay down, lay down in your right where we, where you are. You can just say a small prayer and say, Lord, Lord, I lay down my Lord. All my concerns and my fears. Lord, if I don't, if they don't help me to find your purpose for my life, what is the use, O oh Lord? said in your word what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul and what can a man give in exchange to his soul this man this morning father we want to give everything that we have we want to live to the best of our abilities lord we don't know even how to give you lord teach us teach us to surrender every day teach us teach us day after day one day at a time moment by moment to walk with you Lord, if in this life only we have hope, but thank God, Lord, that we are not a part of this generation. We thank God that you saved us out of this perverse generation and you made us partakers of that kingdom which is to come. Enable us not to despise it and walk away from it because the love for other things have stolen the love for God and for, the, for your word in our hearts. Pray, Father, for young brothers and young sisters here in this sanctuary and also for elder people here in the sanctuary. Pray, Lord, that the, the Lord, that each one of us will begin to number our days. Father, we will do the best
best that we can. Give everything that we have for you, O Lord. We will live unto Him so that we will be counted worthy to be called the sons of the resurrection and the sons of God and not the sons of this age. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I speak your blessing over your people, especially this moment in time, Father. We want to remember Pastor Vijay James and his family, O oh Lord. Pastor Vijay James's family, Sister Desi and two children, and all the household, O oh Lord. We come, commit them into your care, O oh Lord Jesus. Comfort them, O oh Lord. Comfort them, O oh Lord. You are the God of all comfort, O oh Lord. We thank you, Father, for your word which says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Oh Lord, I pray, Father, that you would send forth your word and heal them in their hearts, O oh Lord. Oh Jesus, we know, Father, we can only pray. It is you who has to do it, O Lord. We can't do it, O Lord. We can't even empathize. But we know, Father, that you are a God who is tempted in every area, O Lord Jesus. You went to every trial, every rejection, every pain, every suffering that is possible. And Lord, you went to empathize with our weaknesses and with our struggles. And I pray, Father, that God of comfort will comfort them this morning, O Lord. Pray, Father, for Pastor James and Sister Elsa, that you would touch them as well. And even as a minister this evening, for the for the funeral service at four, I pray, Father, that Lord, you would, Lord, be in charge. Oh, Jesus, oh, Lord, oh, Father, come, Lord Jesus, come. Our hope is in you. Father, transform our hearts, oh, Lord. Let this word not be stolen, Lord Jesus. Let it burn in our hearts, oh, Lord. Let it burn. Let it be imprinted into the deepest parts of our inner man. Let it change our priorities, oh, Lord. Let us look at things differently, oh, Lord Jesus, from your perspective, oh, Lord. Oh, Father, because you said in your word that we are seated together with you in the heavenlies in Christ. Oh Jesus, help us, O oh Lord. Help us, help us, help us, O oh Lord. Forgive us our unbelief. Forgive us our unbelief. Oh Jesus, we have shot into your hand in our lives. Please, Lord, forgive us, O oh Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, O oh Lord. Speak your blessing over your children, O oh Lord Jesus. Commit each one of us into your hands, O oh Lord Father. Enable us to walk with you, O oh Lord. Enable us to walk with you, O oh Lord. Every one of us, O oh Lord Jesus, one day at a time, moment by moment, day by day, with you, O oh Lord. We thank you, Father, for the hope that we have. A hope that will not disappoint. The hope that will not disappoint. Because, Lord, you said in your word that your Father, your Holy Spirit will be shed abroad in our hearts. by the Holy Spirit, And you would enable us, Lord Father, to love you with all of our heart. Oh, Jesus, do that work in us, O oh Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We praise you, Father. Worship you, Lord. Give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us even as we meditate upon the words that He has spoken to our hearts through this week. Even now, and through the week, until he tarries to come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah.